Hello and welcome to Back Talk, the show where two feminist people talk about this week in pop culture. Hello, I'm Sarah Merck. I'm the online editor of Bitch Media, which means this week I've been looking through a lot of, I've been getting stuck in a Tumblr hole. I've just been <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an awful hole to be in. Um, it's a, it's a wonderful hole. I never want to get out of the Tumblr hole. <laughs> I feel like... I think I said this before, but I think if Tumblr was around when I was in high school, I never would have graduated from high school because I would have just looked at Tumblr all day. And I've got I've spent some serious time digging into the Tumblr hole this week, and it is delicious. But you would have graduated from the Tumblr school of life. Yes, I would have graduated from the Tumblr Academy of GIF watching. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Amy Lamb, the associate editor at Bitch. And uh, this couple of weeks we've been super busy with magazine production, <laughs> which <laughs> not to be a downer, but y'all are kind of screwed. I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a little hectic and uh it's, it's i think the one way to explain it is like um you know when you haven't eaten for a while and you're like hangry and you have a mm-hmm. low, low blood sugar yeah that happens like every day to yeah me. so yeah. that that's how it feels the entire time during production <laughs> like you're like putting the magazine together you're you're proofreading everything yes. you're trying to fact check everything you're yes. trying to get it laid out yes and you're just and it feels like mentally hangry yes it's really intense uh, so that's happening. But also I wanted to shout out that um, this week we just introduced the Bitch Media uh, oh, fellowship, fellowship yeah. for writers. So if you guys want to join this <laughs> this hangry feminist thing we're doing over here, <laughs> check oh, out yeah. the website. It's, yeah. it's cool. It's um, we, uh, we got a grant to run this program where um, we're having different people. Uh, there's four of them write on different topics. And it's called the Bitch Media Fellowship for Writers. Um, you should check out the details on the website. There's like a lot of information and a frequently asked questions and you can go on there and apply. So just look it up on the website. It's on the homepage. Very first thing, Bitch Media Fellowship for Writers. Yes. And don't be discouraged if you feel like I'm not, I'm not good enough for a writer or I haven't written long enough or I'm too old to do this. Never fear. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you can do this. So just check it out, read about it and apply. Yay. So we started the show by talking about, uh, our favorite pop culture moment of the week, I want to talk about this last weekend. I went up to Geek Girl Con in Seattle, which is a huge feminist nerd convention. It's about 6,000 people in Seattle, many of them dressed in fabulous costumes and cosplay. And so I just spent like all weekend taking photographs of adorable people. Um, there was a Tina Belcher that I took a photo yes, of for you. And, and you texted to me and I was like, she's wearing the wrong socks. <laughs> <laughs> she was wearing the wrong socks, but she looked great. She looked and, great. Uh, she was there was a cute. lot of like Steven Universe cosplay. There was um, some Legend of Korra cosplay. And then just people making up their own wonderful things like different iterations of Sailor Moon. It was really fun to be around all those people at Geek Girl Con. Yeah, it was rad to see your pictures. But because I'm not really in that world, I, I literally didn't know what... 80 90 percent of those people <laughs> yeah a lot the of them are, are you know a lot of them it's like are you an obscure video game character i don't know about or did you just make this up and it looks awesome and i'd say it's 50 50 people would be wow. like oh i just made up this character or they'd be like what you haven't seen this anime uh-huh so. that makes me feel hopeful that maybe one day i can go and just dress up like completely randomly mm-hmm. you totally could you could just wear all pink and people would think you were from a video game <laughs> awesome uh my pop culture moment i have kind of two uh my first is yesterday i met um one of my favorite like uh cultural reporter 
people. <laughs> and Sarah, was that? Sarah was with me. <laughs> and Sarah oh, was, yeah. Yeah. And Sarah was like, you need to go talk to him. And I was so nervous. I was like shaking a little. And I felt like you were kind of getting agitated because I wouldn't go and do it. But I was you, afraid you weren't going to do it. I was yes. afraid you weren't going to say hi. And then you were going to regret it for the rest of your life. <laughs> but I did. And his name is uh, Dave Zyron. And he writes for The Nation. And, and he does like the sports beat for The Nation. And it's like uh, his writing... Uh, covers like the intersection of sports and politics and i've just really admired his work and his analysis and it was really rad meeting him yeah on twitter he's edge of sports and he's always saying really great things yeah super thoughtful um reporting about the sports world uh and the other pop culture thing i want to talk about was um there's another podcast i mean i I know you all love this one, but there are other podcasts, people. <laughs> it's called uh, another. It's called another round, and it's um, run out of Buzzfeed by these two writers there, uh, Heaven and Tracy. And um, this most recent week, they interviewed Hillary Clinton. Whoa! Yes, and it was really. It, it was good, and it, it didn't. It didn't like change my mind about Hillary. And I guess we could talk about that later when we're closer to the election. But um, it did make me have another feeling about Hillary. But the thing about the interview was that I really loved the way Tracy and Heaven talked to her. Uh, like they didn't put on any airs and um, and they dropped the F-bomb with her. And I was like, damn, <laughs> it was so rad. They, they asked her like a question like, um, uh, have you ever had to tell a male colleague to go fuck himself? Like, like, go fuck himself. And I was like, did you just ask Hillary Clinton this? And then another question about, um, about how during Bill Clinton's uh, time in the office, like he instituted a lot of laws that like, um, that put people of color, particularly black folks behind bars. And, um, Tracy asked Hillary Clinton, like, like, do you ever feel like, wow, I fucked this up for black people. And, and, and like Hillary's answer wasn't that great, but you know, just to be asked very pointedly, like, do you ever feel this way? And drop the F-bomb like that. I was, I was, I was dying. And then at the end, um, Tracy even asked, <laughs> Tracy snuck in and asked Hillary Clinton, what's good? And I was like dying. <laughs> it's so good. It's another round. Check it out. Um, it's a great podcast. And in particular, this episode is really fun to listen to. Okay, so the first thing we're going to talk about this week uh, is a t-shirt campaign. I think you have a noise for this, Amy. <laughs> white feminism. Woo, wee, wee, wee. It's my siren. That's your white feminist siren making a return. Yes. Um, Amy, why is your white feminist siren going off? Well, <laughs> um, because there was a recent like a photo shoot for uh, a UK publication. Well, I forget what that publication is called. I think called. it's called Time Out. Time Out. And it was for um, a campaign for the new film Suff- Suffragette starring Meryl Streep, um, Carrie Mulligan, and some other white ladies I don't remember. <laughs> but on the cover of the magazine, um, these women are wearing these plain white t-shirts with like a slogan on it. And I believe it says like, I'd rather be a rebel than a slave, right? And uh, and Meryl Streep is wearing this t-shirt on the cover of this magazine. She's looking pretty gleeful for a woman wearing a shirt that has the word slave on it. And I think a lot of people were upset about this because um, I think from a feminist perspective, it's like, were, first of all, were there no people of color in the room that flagged this and said, hey, perhaps like this, this, this phrasing, even if it's a quote from a historical figure, like maybe we should think about like what quotes we should use if we're, to promote this film so that we're not alienating like huge portions of the audience that we're trying to reach so there's that portion of it and then secondly it's like um i think that people who are when they talk about um this quote from is her name um 
Her, it's 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 a historical quote from um, a suffragist named Emmeline Pankhurst, who uh, is a big su- suffragist in England. Um, and what she's known for, and what what the film focuses on, suffragette, is about how um, she sort of founded a group of more militant suffragists um, who d- use direct action and uh, burning things down, blowing up mailboxes to try and get uh, attention on on women's rights and votes for women. And so I think that. Um, for people who are thinking about the move that movement from that time, they did feel like you know um, historically, like women, white women, women of color, have been like trafficked, right? So we can we can respect the history that women have historically been subjugated, but we can also like we can have have two opinions at the same time, right? We can also understand that like. Um, the enslavement of people of color, particularly black folks um, in America and uh, within like British colonial history, like that exists. And the thing is that like the legacy of that continues to this day and we see it structurally. So I think that when people are upset about the shirt, it isn't that like we're ignoring that like, oh yeah, white, white women were once enslaved like historically, but that we're talking about like presently, um, there are people still suffering from the legacy of enslavement. You know, like especially when we're talking about it in the states, um, like there is a story that coming out of Texas where there was a, a, a history textbook in Texas. Oh yeah, yeah, where they talked about like um, the enslavement of African people as, oh, these people immigrated to come to America to work. Like, like it said this. In, oh yeah, and, in the and like book. And some kid's mom took a photo of it and post, posted it on Twitter. I was like, what the heck is this? Yes. They, didn't, they didn't immigrate here to work. No, they were right? workers brought over. Yes. they were enslaved people who were brought over. Exactly, and yeah. so like when. When we're trying, like, I mean, like, that, that is, like, actively erasing, like, really fucked up American history. And we need to talk about this. So so when we see shirts like this, because, um, you know, the legacy of, of, of the harm and, like, violence against black people in America still continues to this day. And so when we see shirts like this, it's really difficult to not be like, excuse me. Did you just did you just tell me that like um, you know like for a white woman to fight for her rights to vote is is like akin to slavery? I mean, there's definitely a moment where you have to step back and think about like how do we talk about feminist history and how do we talk about like white feminist history versus like uh, feminist history that's inclusive of people of color? What it says on the shirt is um, I'd rather be a rebel than a slave, and that just feels insulting to every to people who come from families that were enslaved because everybody would rather be a rebel than a slave. Like nobody chooses to be a slave. That's, that's, that's the point. Of, <laughs> that's the whole issue here is that you don't get to choose to be a rebel if, if you're a slave. And then the quote that it comes from, it comes from a long speech that, that Emmeline Pankhurst gave. Oh, that was like, that was not a good connection to make there. So let's, let's find a different quote to celebrate or, a uh, different speech that does speak to ideals that we want to uphold and celebrate today and not this outdated stuff and racist stuff that's a real big part of the of uh, suffrage both in the United States and in England. Right. So um, I, I was like reading a million tweets about this and somebody had a screen grab of a book that was about the suffragist movement. And uh, there's a quote from Pankhurst where she's trying to appeal to um, American suffragettes like, to get them riled up. And in this quote, she says that um, she says that women's voteless condition had, quote, grown the most appalling slavery compared with which Negro slavery falls into insignificance. Yeah, there's there's a lot of I mean, and that's not uncommon at the time. I don't think there was a lot of 
sort of suffragist leaders in the United States and in England who didn't care about racial equity or and who specifically counseled black women who were pushing for the right to vote as like, you know what, we can't really deal with racial issues right now. The biggest example of this, of course, is Ida B. Wells, who's a really famous American suffragist who traveled to England to talk with British suffragists when they were organizing. And um, in America, especially, she was really, you know, not included in, in a lot of the suffrage movement because uh, white suffragist leaders who were who were leading the organization said we don't want to make this a race issue and she she really pushed them to take on lynchings uh, in, the, in the south to take on discrimination against black people to take on um, the the murders that were happening and suffragists the leaders really turned their back on her and said you know what we're not going to deal with these race issues and that's something that is still present today right clearly. I think that speaks to a lot of how um Oftentimes we, when we we whitewash history in America in particular, right? Um, but I think that like even for us when we talk about the feminist movement, like that's something that I know that for myself as an editor, I have to be really mindful of. Like even for things that seem very innocuous, like um, like in the last issue of Bitch, there um, in the Blood Against issue, we did a piece about. Um, uh, the, like the history of uh, advertising for menstrual products, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like a very innocuous thing. And in it, we talk about like, oh, these advertisements were geared towards women to do this and uh, for, you know, for women to show this. And when, when in those instances, when that happens, I have to be mindful, be like, when we're talking about women in that sense, we're talking about white women. We're not talking about like women of color or black women from like the turn of the century. So like th- these these advertisers were aiming at white women, right? Not all women, right? Exactly. And I think that because I mean just just historically like we, we can we can surmise that, right? And so I think that like e- even in the little acts of editing that piece, I I was like we need to point out that like advertising advertisers are talking about white women because when we often when we say like women in in his, historical term, like. Uh, especially like for feminist movements or women's movement, we need to um, be specific that we're talking about like these things were happening for white women and or these things were happening for women of color and white women. Because when we just kind of like bunch it up, it's just all women, it ignores the history. I think it's weird to talk about the shirt without talking yeah. about the films. Tell me, stuff, tell stuff, me stuff about this white lady film. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's a story about uh, one sort of fictional person, uh, 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 a, a, she's a laundry worker in the 1910s in England and how she gets involved in the in the push for w- women's right to vote. Um, it just came out in the United States and it just came out in England too. Um, I think on its own, the film does a lot of things really well. Uh, what is striking about the film is that it is entirely white. Even if it's a film that's about that's, that's focused on white women, it would have been nice to see women of color in there in some regard. You know, Ida B. Wells, who I mentioned earlier, came to England and met with suffragists um, a few years before the film is set. But I'm like, can we get a flashback to Ida B. Wells right. or like have people talking about her in some regard? And there are also uh, women who were um, in countries that, that Britain had colonized that were organizing for the right to vote. Maybe there would have been some way to incorporate them into the film in in some capacity instead it feels it's a very focused story just on this one woman's story but it would have been um i think it would have made it a stronger film to have women of color re- represented there so that it doesn't seem like this is the universal story right and isn't and isn't it true that um a lot of the suffragist movement was built on the abolitionist movement before that mm-hmm. ter- yeah so yeah. it's like wouldn't it make sense to didn't you guys get some advice from those folks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that there, I think that there are ways that it could have been incorporated uh, without it feeling like an awkward 
like shout out. I think there I think that there are ways that women of color could have been incorporated into the film in a way that makes sense in the history. Um, and instead, it feels like a very white film. I do th- one thing I do like about the film is that it's not uh, like a upbeat celebration. I thought a film about this topic would be. I was worried that it was going to be like, all right, we won the right to vote. Like, yay, that's over. Book closed. And instead, it's actually a really sad film. It's a really it's a film that's about struggle and loss and everything um, and the ways that women were rampantly discriminated against and the ways that ra- and the voting is radical and the right to vote is radical and that it's a vote it's a right that. Um, women are still pushing for and representation is something that women are still pushing for politically and it's not done yet so it doesn't feel like some sort of educational historical films feel which is like all right we won that yay end of the story instead it's like a very open-ended tale that leaves you feeling like oh god like they got the right to vote but so much was lost and we still are fighting for representation today right and I while you were talking about like the focus on the film being on voting, it made me um, remember another point about why the shirts are fucked oh, up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it because um, presently uh, there are like districts or states and stuff that are instituting laws um, that are kind of uh, going up against the Voters' Rights Act mm-hmm. that are making it harder for people to vote. In particular. Black communities, low-income communities, immigrant communities. So uh, that's why like. You know, like, a, like, I guess it's good that this film wasn't super upbeat. But when we talk about like, oh, we, you know, we won the right to vote um, in like uh, the white women's movement. We need to talk about like even presently, there are marginalized communities that are, are having their right to vote being like in limbo. Yeah, and obstructed and rolled back. And yeah, like the voter ID laws that are passed around the country, specifically in the South, um, which are making it much harder for people to vote and specifically low income people of color to vote. <laughs> Let's just spit all over the microphone because we're so bald. <laughs> yeah. For the next topic of the show, we're going to talk about fall TV and television. We're excited about wasting our lives watching. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Uh, what, what, why don't you start, Amy? Okay, so um, I love TV. I grew up watching TV, and the fall <laughs> is like. TV Christmas. <laughs> We're in TV Christmas right now. Right. You're opening presents every every week of new TV, TV shows. So TV Thanksgiving for me is Project Runaway because they it comes on like around late summer. Mm. So then I'm like, all right, like things, this is my appetizer. You're gonna start eating yeah. it up or gobbling it. Yeah. Down. yeah. So then like TV Christmas comes and all the the shows come on. So uh, Fresh Off the Boat is back. Um, super fun, super Asian, super Im- immigranty. Love it. <laughs> um, and I also, you know what, we talked about Project Greenlight a while ago oh, yeah. because of ba- uh, Matt, Matt Damon, yeah, Matt Damon's planning um, Effie Brown. So I decided to check it out, and it's like it's like five episodes in. So uh, I'm fortunate in that I have like HBO Go. So I started watching the first episode, and and it's kind of one of those situations where I'm kind of hate watching it because <laughs> like uh, this is this is the type of show where you watch and you're like, this is what's going on like behind doors in Hollywood. It's very, I think it's, it's very ex- exemplary of it. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm using the word in the correct way, but, uh, but it, it, it does exemplify what's going on in the room where it's like mostly white guys. And, uh, at the, because the first episodes, it's like these contestants are trying to get on the show to make a movie. And you can just see in the body language of these white men, how they are when like another white man walks in the room versus when it was a, a, a team of a director team of a white woman and an Asian American man. 
from an Asian man and like they walk in and you can see how like their body language shifts and it's different and I, I think this is one of those shows that I'm watching to see like oh this is what's going on behind doors it's mm. like like enemy watching <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool to get to get a look inside how that process right. works I mean we've talked a lot before about systemic discrimination in Hollywood keeping women and people of color out of um, executive roles and roles behind the camera so it's kind of it's interesting to actually see it yes. unfold on screen and, and I guess that like as the series continues like Effie Brown gets into it with folks so I'm I'm excited to see this ha- happen and unfold um, and uh, another show that I just started watching this season is Empire I watched a couple episodes from the first season but I kind of fell out of habit of it because I didn't DVR it but this this season I'm like people I'm, are so psyched for Empire yes it, it's it's really you know what it is it's like super soap opera dramatic-y mm-hmm. and like it has to do with like um you know the hip-hop music industry world and uh and like the, they make no qualms that this is like a like a serious like dr- like drama it's like kind of cheesy drama and, and like really appreciate <laughs> all the twists and turns that literally happen within like minutes of a scene mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're just like is this really happening right now and uh, and there's like uh, always super fun cameos like in like the first second episode i think it was chris rock, rock was on it and he what? played like this like gang leader and it was like kind of unconvincing because chris rock doesn't really seem very menacing <laughs> um and it's just like a really fun show to watch i mean like there there are like things about it that i'm like i i'm kind of feeling funny about this but Overall, it's fun um, to watch. Like the thing that I was feeling funny about, because like they they have a Latina character on. Uh, I was played by a singer named Becky G in real life, and I forget her name of her character on the show. But they really lay on the like the Latina stereotypes with her, um, and I'm just sitting there like, is this is this the extent of her representation? Because I want to continue to watch the show to make sure or just to see like what will happen to her character and they'll make her more three dimensional. Mm-hmm. So it's been. It's been super fun. And then there's like a really white show that I'm into that's on Showtime called The Affair. <laughs> I haven't heard of that. <laughs> my, my my guilty white show pleasure. <laughs> it's about um, these like rich kind of or richy white middle class people who have an affair and like the fallout from it. It's, isn't it's, that like every show? How, isn't that? But that, the, like the fun way, that? I think, because the, the storytelling of the show is really fun because they show it from different perspectives. So in the first season, they showed it from the... Uh, perspective of the the man who's having an affair like how he saw the woman and they showed it from the woman's perspective and how he how she understood the affair with the man and then now in the second season uh, the way i'm seeing it is that they're showing how um the partners because that they both got found out so they have they're breaking up with their partners their respective partners and now we're seeing how the partners are experiencing Hmm. life so so you kind of see a relationship unfold from everyone's yes and it's fun because it's also gendered do you get to see them have sex like four different times then there's a lot of there's, there's sexiness. There's there's some boobies every now and then. <laughs> and uh, Dominic West is in it, who's from um, who played McNulty from The Wire, and he's he's he brings out his American English accent and he's beefy. And, <laughs> and Joshua Jack- Jackson from Dawson's Creek is in it, uh, who's still dreamy as fuck. So I'm like, <laughs> and they're and they're like shirtless like a quarter of the time. So I'm into this. I'm having like. <laughs> I mean, like, so this is like your guilty romance novel <laughs> yes. TV show watching. Yeah. All is right. Fabio, <laughs> can Fabio do a cameo? <laughs> it won't be, be good. This is like a good like dramatic show. I don't think oh, he's like, sorry. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> You're watching it for the acting, right? <laughs> um, oh, I'm I'm excited. I'm kind of have like conflicted but excited about three shows that are coming out on Amazon, uh-huh. and that's why I'm conflicted about them is because Amazon is a horrible company. They're horrible. 
can I just say it again that they're horrible <laughs> and they treat their workers really poorly and I don't buy stuff from Amazon I really make a point not to buy things from Amazon I don't buy books from Amazon I shop at Powell's instead but they're funding six pilots six six TV show pilots that are launched by Amazon and three of them are directed by women and and center on the stories of women um, one is about comedian Teague Nataro and it's kind of a uh, biopic story. Can you have a biopic TV show? <laughs> it's called One Mississippi, and it's about Tina Taro going back to um, her home in the South with her girlfriend and dealing with that. And I love Tina Taro, so I'll watch anything she's in, even if it's on Amazon. A different show that's, that's going to be on Amazon is called The Good Girls Revolt, and it's about um, the, the female staff of Newsweek uh, staging a mutiny, basically, in the 1970s, uh, where the if, if you were a woman and you worked at Newsweek, uh, you couldn't be anything except basically a secretary. You couldn't be a writer, and this was this was widespread. This is, this is real. Like, this, this is this based is real. On a true story. This, is, this actually happened. Yeah, wow. this actually happened. And so then, uh, the women who worked at Newsweek, I think about 45 of them, filed a class action lawsuit and sued for for gender discrimination and. Um, and that that led to a book called The Good Girls Revolt that's about that history, and this is a TV show based on it. And it kind of it looks like kind of like a Mad Men vibe, without Don Draper, mm-hmm. which is like my favorite kind of Mad Men. <laughs> which is like if you could make a Mad Men supercut that was just like like Joan and only Joan fighting for her rights, that's what I want. And that looks like what this this show is going to be. So that's called The Good Girls Revolt. So those those are two shows that I'm looking forward to, even though they're on Amazon. I thought you said there were three shows. Well, the third one, I'm not that excited about. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the third one, well, it looks it looks like it could be good. It could be bad. I don't know. It's, it stars Christina Ricci as Zelda Fitzgerald. Uh-huh. And it's it's about Zelda Fitzgerald's relationship with F. Scott Fitzgerald and their tumultuous, their famous tumultuous relationship. Um, it kind of looks like, gate, like Great Gatsby. I think it has a lot of potential to, like, make fun of people with mental illness. And, like, Oof. because Zelda Fitzgerald was mentally, uh, had a mental illness. And uh, I just, I don't know. It's just not my, it's just not my thing. Like, I don't want to watch anything else about rich people in the Gilded Age throwing drinks at each other. But that, but that show is called Z, if that sounds exciting to you. At least they're centering her. Yeah, at least it's about her and not him. But uh, yeah, it's called Z and it's about uh, Christina Ricci as Ella Fitzgerald. We'll see. It could be good. Maybe it could be good. I bet it'll have like really great costume design. I bet it will have great costume design. I'm being trying to be positive. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. I'll watch it. And if it's like really boring and just like, oh, make me another martini. I hate my life. Then I don't know if I can keep watching Um, it. So how does Amazon TV work? Do you have to have a subscription? I think you have to be an Amazon Prime member. Right. Which I am not. So whose password are you using, girl? I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna confess <laughs> up to that. <laughs> okay, it's the end of the show where we share one thing we read, uh, one thing we watched, and one thing we heard this week. But first, we're gonna have a new thing where yes! uh, <laughs> where uh, there was so much listener feedback from the last couple episodes. It's yes, been really yes, great. Yes, yes, yes. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Folks are like reviewing and writing reviews of the show on iTunes. It helps us out in some magical ways that I'm not aware of. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, so we thought we'd have a thing called Mailbag where we read uh, comments from people and feedback that they gave right. us. Right. Well, actually, I came up with a couple of theme songs for this this, this oh, occasional great. segment. Great. We're not going to do it every time, but when we get, I guess, good questions, we can you address made, it. You made up a theme song? Yeah. I mean, I have a couple, and they're 
they're amazing i think so I'm, i think that i should quit my editing job and just write jingles <laughs> what is what, okay what's the theme? I don't know, what's i've been so excited i haven't told sarah like for the whole week that i've been thinking about it i'm like sarah you have to wait until we do the podcast so i can sing them to you so you wrote a you wrote a jingle okay no they're not okay just just okay so this okay. is my first one i'm gonna close my eyes and okay. listen it's it's this is more of like a like a zappy thing so it's not like a whole song okay it goes feminist feedback so that's my that's my first that's the theme song that's that's the first the first one it could be okay. like a, hey it's really it's really like zippy and zappy and the second <laughs> one is uh hey it's mail by corner hey it's mail by corner i don't know why there's a corner with the mail bag in it but hey it's mail by corner <laughs> Sing that out of pitch, horribly tuned song every time somebody. That's gets like someone. That. That's like punishment for leaving commentary. <laughs> oh, that's so mean! Hella shade. <laughs> Don't send us any feedback, or Amy will sing about mailbag corner again. Okay, what's your third theme song? I'm gonna. No, that, I'm gonna that was it. Voice. It was just. Oh, those, those were those two. Yes. Okay. Well, I vote for the second one. Okay. All right, guys. <laughs> can you sing it one more time, and then we can read the thing we're gonna. You read? really want to hear it again? Okay. Hey, it's mailbag corner. Hey, it's mailbag corner. <laughs> I don't know why there's a corner with a mailbag in it, but hey, it's a mailbag corner. That's like a some kind of tune I ripped off. I don't. I remember. think it's growing on me. <laughs> I think I like it more the second time. <laughs> I'm glad somebody does. Uh, so we received uh, a Facebook comment from this person. I don't want to say their their whole name in case they don't want to say their whole name, but her name, I'm guessing their their name is Deborah. And uh, the comment was really, so this is about last week's, last time show. Really enjoyed this week's podcast. And they said, I listen when I can't sleep, which was kind of funny. It's like, I love that. <laughs> That's why I listen to podcasts too when I'm falling asleep. Um, but I just wanted to ask if someone could encourage the presenters to consider the language they use regarding mental health. In quote, insane got used a lot in this episode. Here's a useful post about why why it matters. Cheers. Um, so that would be pointed at me because oftentimes when um, I'm in a loss for words and something is really wild and out of control, I'm, I just go, oh my God, that's so crazy and insane because uh, I, sometimes I just don't know where my words are. And I recognize now that that is very ableist language and um, it's ableist against folks who uh, against folks who have mental illnesses who are, you know, where people might, might like hurl them being crazy or insane as pejoratives. And also historically it's, it's a uh, fucked up against women because women can sometimes be told like, you're, you're being like too crazy and emotional. Uh, like you're being hysterical. Yes. Right. I've had that told to me before in that context and I lost it. So <laughs> it's not cool. Um, and I do want, and like, I'm, I, I really appreciate that feedback and I totally own that I did that. And, um, and since I've received that feedback, I have really recognized that I use like crazy and insane a lot when I'm, and I don't know, and I don't, when I'm being lazy about what words I can use, you know, like when I talk about like a magazine production, I, I could have just, I often would have just said like, oh, it's so crazy and insane, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, why am I doing that? It's because I'm being lazy about finding the specific words. It's like, it's not crazy and insane. It's really hectic and busy. And uh, we just got a lot of shit to do. So I think it's just about being, for me to be mindful about the words I use and being more specific. And in, in fact, when I'm more specific, it, um, it makes what I'm saying more interesting, you know, because then I'm like using the right words to mm. describe things. Yeah. yeah. So thank you, Deborah, for calling me out. And I accept that call out and uh, I'm going to change my behavior. 
And and also for folks who maybe encounter this, there's lots of resources online. Just search like um, ableist language um, and you can find other words to replace it with. I talked to another friend of mine about this and she told me that she often says, that's wild mm-hmm. or uh, mm-hmm. that's really intense. So those are things that I'm keeping in mind when I'm, when I'm talking about things that I want to use more specific language. Sounds great. Yes, right? Mailbag Corner. Do you, have, do you have a mailbag outro song? Oh, no, I hadn't thought about this. Maybe for this, in this case, it could be like, hey, I learned a lesson. <laughs> I learned a lesson. Thank you, mailbag people. <laughs> that was great. I'll give you some, some snaps. Like your <laughs> Okay, okay, let's talk about, um, this is going to be our longest show ever. Let's talk about um, one thing we read this week. I actually want to talk about two things we read to contrast them. We'll just do a brief, we'll just do it quickly. Yeah, it's a super quick. Um, so yesterday, um, this amazing interview with Rihanna dropped. Uh, it was conducted by Miranda July. The great, perf- she, she's a performance artist, author, uh, filmmaker, uh, who has a long history in feminist art. Yes, and she's a writer and a poet, so I think that, that also influences how she did her interview with Rihanna. It's beautiful. It's like a love letter to Rihanna, and it's a, it's a profile of her, but in a way that didn't feel like profile-y, and um, that like, kind of showed you like this different perspective of, of Rihanna, um, but also getting like new information about who she is. Yeah, it's, a, yeah it's, it's in the New York Times Magazine, and... Um, I just love it because Miranda July asks questions that are really good questions, but that nobody ever gets asked. Like, what do you Google? Like, what do you find yourself searching for on the Internet? And I'm like, oh, man, that's a really interesting question. And she asks Rihanna, like, really, frankly, what turns you on? And they want to talk about sexuality. And it's not like an, it's not any kind of like exploitive, like gross question like, hey, sexy, what turns you on? It's like, no, I'm legitimately interested in sexuality and want to talk about that with you so they have a really great open conversation about topics that um i was excited to read about it's one of those things that i didn't know that i wanted Miranda july to interview rihanna until she did and then i was like wow i'm so glad this exists right and it's in such deep contrast to an interview that came out last week that's also in the new york times magazine um sarah told me that i guess they're running a series with profiles of pop stars and in this one it's with Nicki Minaj and it's by a white woman writer and it is uh not good (laughs) you can just feel like there's this like sense of disdain for Nicki in the interview and uh and the way that like Nicki is is like uh portrayed even I even though I think that the writer's intent was to portray her as like a super boss lady um it, it, it didn't go that way because of like the way she, the ways the words that she used and the way in which she talked about like Nikki's career. It's it's interesting because like um in the Nikki profile like this woman went to like great extent to talk about her career and everything. But it's like in profiles like this, many of us already know a lot about these pop stars or like or maybe we wouldn't be reading about this or we want to know something new about them. Yeah, it definitely felt to me as a reader like she was talking about Nicki Minaj to people who've never heard of Nicki Minaj before. Which maybe that's the target audience is like white, like white middle-aged people who don't listen to to pop music who are like, who's this Nikki character? But in pitching it that way, it kind of ignored and alienated. I think the audience already knows who Nicki Minaj is, which is millions and millions of people because she's like the best-selling hip-hop artist. She's at least the best-selling female hip-hop artist yeah, right and now. Yeah, she's a huge pop star, like pop, not even hip-hop. She's yeah. just a gigantic pop star. And so it's kind of like, hey, have you guys heard of this person? So it feels a little, it feels out of touch to me as as a reader, being like, yeah, you wouldn't write this about Madonna this way, right? And like the way she wrote about Nikki is just like dripped of just 
like this like this feeling of like oh look at this hip hop look at this hip hop star and then and she she's kind of bossy and and like uh, she kicked me out of the interview because she did because Nikki kicked her out because she asked an inappropriate like question that Nikki didn't like and good for her. Um, but so it was interesting to read these two interviews side by side, mm-hmm. uh, especially yeah. since like they're profiling black female artists, mm-hmm. you know, and like how do we talk about black black female artists in this world? Yeah, and then they're both in the same publication, which I think is interesting. So it's like here's an example of a really great profile. Here's one that's not so great. Both in the New York Times, both this week, both about black female musicians. Great. Um, okay, I want to talk about one thing we watched, uh, which is I was at Geek Girl Con last weekend in Seattle, as I mentioned, and. Uh, I was on a panel about the X-Files, which spiraled into discussion about how Mulder, Fox Mulder, is a huge jerk and Scully is the best. <laughs> and um, but on the on the panel, we watched the trailer for the new X-Files episodes, which debut in January. Let's listen to a clip from it right now. What I need is your expertise. You said if I ever put the pieces together that you would confirm. And have you? I've seen something. You're nearly there. You're close. I can't do this alone. Yeah. I'm here. I have to admit that watching that trailer, I like get goosebumps just hearing the theme song. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited about the new X-Files episodes. And, um, you know, I'm not sure how they're going to shape up. It sounds like in the trailer that, that they're going to focus it on, like, more on privacy issues and on conspiracy issues, which I think is really interesting. Like, when I, like, hearing over the last five years about Edward Snowden and these, like, the, 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 the NSA tapping all of our phones, that sounds like a conspiracy straight out of Fox Mulder's head. And so it's going to be interesting to see how a show about uh, government conspiracies and, and FBI agents investigating their own uh, employer plays out now that we have in the real world people like Edward Snowden showing us this is this kind of stuff is actually happening. So just in the X Files from that standpoint, also going to be some good werewolves and monsters yes, on the show. So yes, and yes. Dana Scully being great. All right, let's wrap up with uh, one thing we heard this week, which I am super obsessed with the new album from the band Yacht, uh, which is Claire Evans and Jonah Beckholt, and uh, they have a new album. I love the song called I Thought the Future Would Be Cooler. Sums up a lot of my feelings about uh, how we don't have hoverboards and or even skirts with pockets or (laughs) (laughs) these days in the future. We can put a man on the moon, but we can't uh, make comfortable skirts with pockets available for wide consumer purchase. You're shopping at the wrong places. Okay. Um, okay, so here's the song from Yacht to play you out. It's called I Thought the Future Would Be Cooler, and it's off their new album. Listen up. Thanks for listening to the show. Thank you. Crowd, source, cults, all lit up on LED. Next thing you know. Hey, podcast listeners, have you noticed that we don't shy away from tough conversations and that we cover just about every topic you can think of? That's because as a nonprofit independent media outlet, 
Bitch Media is entirely supported by thousands of folks like you, not some big corporation or a deep-pocketed donor with a hidden agenda. If you love tuning in each week, please pitch in at bitchmedia.org slash podcast. And be sure to mention Propaganda or Backtalk when you donate. We'll read some of our listener love on the air during the next shows. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Backtalk. This podcast is hosted by Sarah Merck and Amy Lamb from Bitch Media. The show is produced by Alex Ward. Bitch Media is a reader and listener-supported feminist nonprofit. If you want to support the show and our work, please head over to bitchmedia.org and donate. Donate.